So, you know, I, I love how this, this whole service is set up today, don't you? It, it reminds me of, of what I imagine the, the early days of the Great Awakening must have been like with, with crowds gathered in city parks and in open fields to hear the Word of God preached and the gospel proclaimed in that wake of the congregational movement. And then, you know, closer to uh, our own era today, maybe this uh, event reminds some of you of those good old-fashioned church picnics uh, from when you were a kid and the, uh, the glory days of the tent revivals and camp meetings. And, you know, I think those thoughts and impressions make a, a great backdrop for this Reformation Sunday, uh, and in particular for this next psalm in our series, Psalm 115, that calls us as a people to take our eyes off of the fleeting passions of this world and the vanity of its idols uh, and to instead focus all of our, our aspirations and our affections, not on ourselves, but on the maker of heaven and earth so that everything we do, everything emphasizes the glory of God and advances the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, as the highest goal of this life and to the glory of God. And so we're going to be continuing our series, turning today to Psalm 115. And I hope you're following along uh, in your Bibles there yourselves. If you open your Bibles to Psalm 115, the psalmist writes, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. And those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. But, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. God our Father, we've read your word and so send now your Holy Spirit that we may hear your voice, that uh, in hearing we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and in believing we may follow in faith and obedience until we behold your glory in the face of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, and so if you, if you happen to grow up in the church, whether it was around one of those revival tents I mentioned or... Uh, in a downtown chapel or a one-room uh, meeting house in the country, it's pretty likely 
you've heard hundreds and hundreds of references to God's glory, right? Uh, you probably sang about it in hymns. You heard serm sermons preached on it and uh, undoubtedly included it in your prayers, the petition that God be glorified. But when's the last time you really paused to consider what that all really means? Like, have you ever wondered what the glory of God really is? When we speak of God's glory in a song or a, a sermon, what exactly is it that we're getting at? If someone were to ask you today, what do you, what do you mean by giving glory to God? Would you know how to answer? And so I want to think about that with you today because more than almost anything else, it was the zeal for the glory of God that provided the driving energy and force behind the Protestant Reformation. The men like Luther and Calvin and Swingley and Knox and all, the, all those who came after them recognizing that all of creation, all of it, from the heights of heaven to the depths of the earth, from the, the largest whale to the littlest, tiniest insects, from the elementary knowledge of the alphabet to the loftiest pursuit of academics, from the children's lyrics of, of Jesus Loves Me to the masterful compositions of Johann Sebastian Bach, and from the book of Genesis through the entirety of the Bible, all of this, all of this, all of creation presented solely Deo Gloria to the glory of God alone. Because they recognize that in the words of one commentator that no people will ever rise higher than their idea of God. Right? No people will ever rise higher than their idea of God. And so just to, to kind of ground us in what it is that we mean by God's glory, you know, is always the best place to look is the Word of God and the, the truths of the Scripture. And this word uh, here translated for us as we read the opening lines of our psalm, uh, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Uh, that word there for glory is the Hebrew word kavod. Kavod. It, it comes to us from a term that gives the basic idea of measuring something really heavy. It's also related to the, the Hebrew uh, word for someone being rich. So uh, speakers uh, in ancient Hebrew would, uh, would talk about and refer to a person who was wealthy as, as being heavy in, in that wealth. Kind of as you know, we might say of, of some of the day, man, that, that guy, he's really loaded. And by extension, you know, we could also take that same idea of kavod from the Scripture uh, and into mean being a, a heavyweight, being a heavyweight when it comes to power or reputation or, or honor. And it's from this use of the word that we get the meaning of glory, of God's glory. Because God's glory is God's weightiness in divine qualities like His might and His power and beauty and goodness and His justice and honor. And so when we, when we think of, of God's glory, we remember that God has all of those things, not just in weighty abundance, but in superabundance in greater quantity and, and quality than we could possibly imagine. But you know, that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to. A.W. Tozer wrote, What comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. Uh, hundreds of, of years earlier, Martin Luther, in, in trying to express the root issues of the Reformation and, and the heart of what would become our, 
Protestant movement wrote along those same lines in saying, the doctrine of the gospel takes all glory, wisdom, and righteousness from men and ascribes those things to the Creator alone who makes everything out of nothing for His own glory. Soli Deo Gloria. In which that phrase basically became the, the hashtag, if you will, of the Reformation. Glory to God alone. And the poets would, would end their, their works with it and sign Soli Deo Gloria at the end. Authors would, uh, would end their books with it. Composers would end their musical scores with it. And pastors would end their sermons with it. With that, that little annotation, Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. That simple little phrase with the heavyweight meaning. Because, you see, it was a confession that no matter how wonderful the poem was, or beautiful the melody, or erudite the book, or moving the sermon that the human author behind it didn't deserve the glory, but that it belonged rather to God. That it belonged to God who, uh, who gave the skill or the, the talent that was used to produce it. And more than that, it was, it was a prayer. It was a prayer that, whatever it was, what, whatever they did or, or what their work inspired or accomplished, that every bit of it would bring glory to God alone. You know, it's the same sentiment our psalm writer wanted to evoke in Psalm 115, reminding the ancient Israelites uh, every time that they sang it, that it was not their works or their efforts that had brought them so many blessings, but it was God's grace alone. And so it's a, a fitting psalm for us to uh, examine uh, on a day like today as we, we reflect on the manifold blessings that God has given this flock, this beautiful flock gathered uh, here this morning, gathered home, and, uh, and also with us being on the eve of, of such a, a momentous week for our nation, to remind us that those blessings we have received are not due to our own efforts or to our own strength or ingenuity, but to God alone. And that regardless, regardless of what happens in the days and weeks and months to come, that Jesus Christ is still King. And brothers and sisters, that He's reigning right now at the right hand of glory in heaven and blessing us not because of anything we do, but because of His great love for us. And church, that is a great and glorious gift because, you know, as a country, just, just imagine as a country if God gave us what we really deserved. What we deserve as a nation for not taking a united, vocal, uncompromising, but loving stand against abortion and against the enemies of Israel and against the advent of cultural Marxism. And guys, we've got to stop playing church. Because the Bible says Christ is returning and the judgment begins with the house of the Lord and He will not give His glory to another, no matter who they are. That's the legacy of the, of the Reformation. And brothers and sisters, it's in that same Holy Spirit that opened Martin Luther's mouth and that stiffened his spine and that planted his feet firmly on the Word uh, that we could declare today with him that whatever the Roman Catholic Church may have been in the past, that even that is now lost as an institution. Lost when the, 
so-called vicar of Christ in one fell swoop exalted himself above the word of God this week only to prostrate himself at the feet of the gay agenda in lending his endorsement to same-sex marriage and, and earning him that same rebuke as Luther delivered against the Roman pontiff of his day who Luther said uh, that he sits as, as a man of sin and son of perdition in the church at Rome not to govern it with divine laws and promises and grace but with his foolish human commandments by means of his self-invented holiness and so now is due no more allegiance than the Christian owes to Antichrist. And I know those are strong words. But to, to any dear Catholic brothers and sisters, I lovingly appeal to you in Jesus' name, leave the idolatry of the papacy and come home to the true church of Jesus Christ. And folks, that goes for all of us who would, would trust in anyone or anything less than the glorious truths of the God of the Bible. Come out from that. Whatever that, that idol is for you, whether it's family or, or finances or physical health or or friendships, or even attachments to firmly held expressions of faith that turn out to be false. And so all of us, my, myself included, need to pray and ask God to reveal whatever idols may have crept into our lives. Even, even those things that are innately good, which we've perhaps elevated to a higher place than they ought to hold. Things that become a problem when we begin to believe that they can satisfy us more than God can. Those works of human hands we read about in the Psalms this morning, the ones we read that have mouths but don't speak, and eyes but don't see, and ears but don't hear, noses that don't smell, they have hands that can't feel, and feet that do not walk, and, and they don't make any sound with their throats. And those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. And so our, our challenge going forward from today has to be a holy balance, that balance of being grateful to God for the things that He has blessed us with that we're celebrating here today, and at the same time avoiding the temptation to put our hope and our trust in places other than in our glorious God, because there is no other, there is no other in heaven or on earth below who can handle the place of our deepest need and repair the brokenness of sin that we carry on the inside. Because you see, all, all of those other things the world offers may be a temporary panacea, they may relieve some passing pain for a particular period, but every other resource, even the greatest of them, outside of Christ, are worthless when it comes to our real problem. A real problem that our psalmist addressed when he wrote, the dead do not praise the Lord, neither any who go down into silence. And you know, I, I, I have to confess when I first read that, I thought, what in the world does he mean? What, is, what does he mean that the dead don't praise the Lord? What about all the Old Testament saints and the, the prophets and the apostles? And what about all our loved ones who've, who've passed away? But then the Holy Spirit whispered, Joe, you know, none of those folks are dead. Because they are, uh, all of those folks at this very moment, alive in the presence of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, who Jesus himself said is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And so, no, it's not our redeemed family in heaven he's talking about and that we need to concern ourselves with, but 
It's with those living, walking dead souls all around us who look alive but who are dead inside because they don't know Jesus Christ. And because, church, the, the Bible, you know, it doesn't say humanity was born sick in our sins or disabled by sin or disadvantaged in them, but that, that we all, all of humanity were born dead in our sins. And that left to ourselves, we had, would have all ended up in hell. But glory to God, he didn't just sit by and do nothing. But instead, as Psalm 115 declares, he became the help and the shield of all who fear him. So that we can pray in the words of the psalm today, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. And you know, to do that, to do that is firstly to realize that that glorious truth starts with God's nature and not with yours or mine. And church, we can't express that or stress that too much or too often because brothers and sisters, uh, the glory is that God alone is holy. God alone is just. God alone is righteous. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It would, it would be a terrifying thing if the universe and this reality we live in had been created by an evil God, right? An omnipotent being that was morally corrupt and unjust would be a living nightmare. So it's a good thing that God is holy and that God is just, but it also presents a really big problem. It presents a problem for me because if God is just and gloriously so, what does he do with us? What does he do with you and me? As we already said, uh, the Bible says we've all sinned against God. We've all sinned against one another, that we've all sinned against our own human nature and everything around us and in us calls for our condemnation before a God who is not just good, but holy, and not only holy, but just, and that there is nothing in all of creation that can bridge that huge chasm between those two extremes, between where I am and, and where he is except for Jesus Christ, except for Jesus and his death on the cross, because that is where we see the unique revelation of the fullness of God's divine and glorious nature, that God is just, so he must condemn our sins, but God is love. And so he became a man. Became a man in the person of Jesus who lived a perfect, sinless life and goes to the cross where all of the justice and wrath of God that I deserve was thrown down on him instead for my redemption. And so that he could credit to me his perfect righteousness. That's what the great reformer Martin Luther called the, uh, the great exchange. Where on Mount Calvary, the worst about me was unfairly laid upon Christ. And the best about him, his, his glorious holiness and his perfect act of obedience is now graciously applied to you and me so that our, our hearts and minds can be open and so that we can actually hear from God. And in the words of our psalm today, that we can stand in that long line of godly men and women who have boldly declared we will bless the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And do it holding on to the truths of Scripture that, as Luther said, oriented his heart and mind to discover within his pages a glorious treasure. A treasure for which he would, would joyfully expend the rest of his life to procure and protect and to boldly 
proclaim, uh, one that he couldn't be quiet about, but believed that he must gladly and willingly sing and speak about so that, that others also may come and hear of the glory of God's grace. And you know, that, that made Luther and, and all whom his message reached free to live in confidence before God. Free to live in the sunshine of a clean conscience on account of Christ instead of under the oppressive weight of his own personal failings. And you know, that, that freedom of conscience gave Luther the courage to stand, to stand practically against uh, the whole world, really, in the face of the whole world. But he never backed off the truth of Scripture, even when the culture of his day didn't want to hear it. Even, even when they didn't want to, uh, to have Luther explain it to them. And brothers and sisters, we can't be ashamed of it either. We can't be ashamed to proclaim it, and, and not just here, but everywhere we go. And woven into everything that we do, in word or in deed, to the glory of God. Because brothers and sisters, anything less makes the message itself look less than genuine. That's exactly why uh, in the days of the psalmist and in the life of Luther and, and in cities and towns across America and the world today that people mockingly ask like they did in Psalm 115, verse 2, where is their God? Where is their God? In other words, the world is asking, what, what difference could, could he possibly make to me when it doesn't look like he even makes a difference for them? And ensuing, so they laugh off the only message that can save their lives. Simply because the church doesn't always live like that message is true. And so this homecoming Sunday, let's recommit together. Let's commit to living with one purpose. United not just here within the, the comfort and safety of one another, but united in reaching the hurting, lost, hopeless people we all encounter every single day speaking the truth in love to them and, and, and letting people know that Jesus accepts and receives anyone, anywhere, anytime, just as they are. But that he loves them too much to ever leave them that way. And that, brothers and sisters, that is how we live solely Deo Gloria. That's how we live for the glory of God alone, with one driving passion, one overarching aim as believers stepping out in faith and standing tall as a blood-bought member of the family, regardless of what society throws our way, or regardless of the pressures that they apply. Even if things get worse for us before they get better, that we are going to give God the glory. And, and you know this as well as I do. You know the devil would have you fear. The world would have you despair. Your sinful flesh would have you lose hope. But because we abide in Christ, we can boldly proclaim the truth of this book. And you and I can say, in the words of Martin Luther's most famous speech, I am bound by the Scriptures and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. Here I stand. Here we stand. And may God help us by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Will you pray with me? And God, our Father, we give you thanks for your forgiveness and your faithfulness to your people in every age. Uh, as you continually call us back to yourself, 
Fill us anew today, we ask with your Holy Spirit to hear and receive your promises and to keep our covenant with you. Where we are corrupt, purify us. Where we are in error, redirect us. Where we are in need, provide for us. And when we stray, Lord, reform us as you have done these 503 years in the world and for 43 years in this church until your kingdom comes in glory to make all things new through Christ our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen.